morning. My name is Mark, one of the pastors on staff here at Calvary, and we are continuing in this series, This We Believe, where we're talking about what are our core beliefs and convictions as a church. And last week, we began to really shift our attention to how we think about the church. And we talked about our identity as this people who have been called out to belong to God, this people who belong to him. And this week, we're going to be talking about church community. How do we live in relationships with one another as a church, as members of Christ's church? Now, I want to begin with a question, and the question is this. What is it that is unique about Christian community? Or you can say, what is unique about church community? Because there's a lot of communities that you can be a part of. Communities you're born into naturally, nation, family, subcultures you're born into. There's, I think about high school students. How many, how many clubs are there at your school? Probably too many to count, right? There's, there's a lot of things you can be involved with. I, there was a Star Wars club at my high school. There, there could, maybe, maybe there's a chess club. Maybe if, if you're interested in a sport, there's teams with your school, there's club teams. There's all sorts of ways that you can be involved in communities. And even as you grow older, you can unite with people around different interests or things that are um, hobbies that you enjoy doing. There's communities that we form often around things. There's communities that we're born into. We want to ask the question, of all the communities that we think about, what is it that's actually unique and fundamentally different about the church, about Christian community? And to answer that question, we're going to look at 1 John, verses, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So 1 John is more near the back of the Bible. And if you want, you can, it, the text will be up here, or there uh, are Bibles also in the seats that you could grab. But we're going to be in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And there we're going to look at what is it that is unique about the church as a community. And we're going to consider how do we live as this church community. So 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12 says this. Beloved. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Lord, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding as we now look at it and consider how we are to live as your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we're going to look at that makes Christian community unique is that it's actually rooted in the very, <clears throat> in the very love of God. That Christian community is coming from God himself as the God of love. Verses 7 through 8 explain this reality. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. God is the source of love. He is love within himself, and he is the one who creates for himself a community of love, which is what we call the church. 
And John makes it clear that whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So when John considers what does it mean to be a Christian, it's yes, it's the beliefs and the realities that we hold to, but he considers it such a transformational reality to know God and to be known by God and to be given new life that he says it's like being born, reborn, to know and experience God and then to love as he loves us. In verse 8, we see the contrary, the opposite. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. For him, the idea of a Christian who does not love is an impossibility. To know God is to be loving. It's to be transformed. It's to be reborn, to be given new life as we come into this relationship with God, a spiritual rebirth. A way you can think about it is kind of like this, that love is the language of the Christian. It's, it's what we're born into. It's what we learn and is cultivated in us through the Christian walk. If you were to think about, uh, imagine we were talking, and I were to tell you, you know, I grew up in Japan. And you'd be fascinated, but you come to find out, I don't speak a word of Japanese. You might be a little skeptical. You think, did you grow up on a military base? How did, how did you grow up and not learn a single word of Japanese? Did you grow up in a subculture within Japan? I said, no, I didn't. I just, I just grew up in Japan, but didn't learn Japanese. We, we would think that's odd. Why? Because we know that the family that we're born into, the culture that we're born into, the, the subculture that we're born into is going to be formative and shaping us. And we think about what is the Christian like here. John's saying, hey, if you're born from God, the, the language, the way that you live the Christian now is defined by love. It's a new way of life as you come into God's family and are given a new birth. That to love is to know God. To not love is to not know God. God. And notice what John says. He says, God is love. In verse 8, he says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is different than saying love is God. It's not as though we're thinking about this impersonal force of love and just a general love where we say that is God. But it's to say God, who is personal, Father, Son, and Spirit, is in his very nature love. And there's a couple different ways that people have understood this, but I think it's here talking actually about the very nature and essence of who God is. That God is always loving. That in his ho the wholeness of his being, he is love. There is no part in God. He's what we call simple. And all of who God is in this is God is love. It's not as though there's some portion of God that could not be defined and characterized by this love. And it's quite profound as you think about how this is possible, that God himself is love. But consider this with me for a moment. When we, as we know it, if you're born into the world, you're born into a family. And maybe you're the firstborn, so you're a firstborn daughter. And when you're born into the world, your mother has become a mother because you came into the world. And you enter into that relationship as a daughter, loving your mother, learning to love your mother. And your mother learns you, or she loves you as a daughter. But there's a time when your mom was not a mom and then she becomes a mom. But consider this for a moment. When we think about God as Father, that God has revealed us to himself as this loving Father, when did God the Father begin to be a Father? It's quite profound to think, but that God has from all eternity been a loving Father, that God the Father has always loved God the Son through the Spirit. And God the Son has always loved God the Father through the Spirit. There's never been a time when God was not personally, relationally, in a community of love within himself. He has always been and will always be in everything he does, 
always at all times love. This is who God is. God is love and his very being in nature. And what John is telling us is that this God creates and gives life to a community who is to be defined by this very love of God who is himself love. And so at Calvary, there's a statement we go back to often because it's core to who we are, where we say we're building Christ-centered communities of people fully devoted to loving God and loving others. This is our mission as a church. And when we think about that, we, we single out this idea of loving God and loving others. Full, full devotion to this. Why? Because the God whom we serve is a God of love. And when he creates a people, he creates a people who are defined by this love and by these loving relationships. And so one thing that's unique about the church is that we're a community who's created from the very love of God himself. Now, there are commands throughout the Bible about how we are to love and care for one another. But I want to take a moment just and think specifically, how do we do this as a church in Erie, Colorado, and surrounding communities we come, Erie, Colorado in 2023? How do we live as a community of love? And the reality is that it requires for us to know and care for one another. It, it requires us to be in relationships. That as we're brought into God's community, as we're brought into his family, we're actually brought into relationships with one another. That there's no such thing as a single child in the family of God. It's, it's this community that we're brought into with one another. And one of the key ways that we express this at our church, not because we say this is a command from the apostles, but one of the key ways that we try and do this at our church is through small groups. So maybe this is a life group, maybe this is a men's group, a women's group, a high school ministry, middle school, Calvary kids. We try and allow people time to be connected in personal relationships because we know that it's pivotal for our spiritual formation to be connected with one another, to know what's going on in each other's li lives, to be able to pray for and care for one another. And it can be easy. I mean, Calvary as a church, Calvary Ear particularly, as we think here, it, it's, a, it's a rather large church. There's larger churches and there's smaller churches, but it can be easy. And one of the things we constantly want to continue to challenge is the idea of walking in, but then walking out unknown. Walking in, but not really knowing one another. And one of the areas we're constantly trying to grow in is how can we connect with the people who are sitting next to us, the people who are in our vicinity as we come, so that this command to be God's people who love one another is part of our day-to-day -day lives. So that we have people who we can confess to and say, you know what, I'm actually, I'm struggling in this area of my life. I'm struggling with this challenge with my family. I'm struggling with my relationship with alcohol or substance. I'm struggling in my just bitterness and frustration. I'm feeling isolated have people who we are bearing the burdens of for our, for our own growth and maturity, for, for their well-being to say, how can I pray for you? What are you going through? See, this is, this is the challenge and the desire that we have as a community, that we would grow up in relationships of love. And the people we're sitting next to, we would actually begin to see more and more as family in the body of Christ. So one of the challenges is to be engaged relationally. And then next that we're going to look at is is then to commit also to the costly love or the costly, the cost of sacrificial love. And so one of the things that makes the church unique is that it's a community that's born out of the love of God. But the next thing that makes the Christian community unique 
is that it actually imitates the very love of God. So look with me at verse 9. We're told this by John. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. How was God's love made manifest? How was it revealed? How was it made clear to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him? Then notice with me verse 10, as John's going to define for us what love is. He says, in this is love. Okay, what's love, John? Tell us. Not, not that we have loved God. This is interesting. John's going to say, okay, you want to know what love is. It's not that you love God. I don't think John's opposed to the idea of us loving God. I think he is all for that and he wants us to love God. But he wants to get something here. And I think what he wants us to get here is what ultimate love is. And this is what he says. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, John is telling us what is ultimate love. It's not First and foremost, that we love God, though absolutely, as Christians, we love God, we worship God, but he's saying the ultimate demonstration of love, the ultimate definition of love is in God sending Christ into the world to take the payment of our sins upon himself, to take the judgment of the cross upon himself so that we would be saved. This is the ultimate definition and meaning of Christian love. I was worshiping with some friends a number of years ago, we were singing some songs at someone's home, and someone was leading worship, and they were, as we were singing through the songs, there was a line that was something like, how he loves us, and the person who was leading was uncomfortable with that, because they said, you know, we don't want it to be all about God's love for us, and to sort of be this self-focused, self-absorbed, so they switched and said, let's, let's sing about our love for God, how we love him. And I can understand the sentiment, you don't want to be singing about yourself and how great are we. But actually, think about this for a moment. When we sing about the love of God, the point is not that aren't we great? Like, aren't we awesome? Of course God loves us. But actually, when we sing about the love of God, what we're recognizing that is that what is ultimate is God's love for us. And, and actually, as we sing of God's love for us, we, we should praise and glorify God for who he is, a God who loves and cares for his people. So I think it's legitimate to do both. I think it's legitimate to sing of God's love for us and our love for God. But when we think about what this passage is saying, is John is saying, make sure you understand that the ultimate definition of love is not rooted in you, but it's, it's actually the very love of God shown to you in the cross. It's the initiating love of God which comes to us while we are far from God, while we are sinners. And this word propitiation is a unique word that's used here. And he says, uh, God loved us, that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And the best way I think I can to define this would be for Christ to be our propitiation means that he is the payment or the appeasement of God's judgment and wrath for us. So that when Christ is on the cross, he is turning away the wrath of God, the judgment of God due towards us by his sacrifice. Now, some people can become uncomfortable with this idea of God as judging. It's like, how could that possibly fit with his love? I thought God was supposed to be love. But consider this for a moment. For God to love what is good, he has to hate all that is destructive and evil. It's actually a love of what is good in God's judgment. And when we look at the cross, what we see is not a diminishing of God's love 
because he has judgment due to sin and what is evil, we actually see a magnification of it. Because what is the cost of God's love for us? We see it on the cross, that Christ himself was the propitiation, the payment, so that God in his love, seeing us as enemies, will not let us remain enemies to him. It actually magnifies the love of God as we see this, that God is actually a lover of his enemies. That God is a lover of his enemies. And that's what we see on the cross, that Christ willingly goes to the cross. The Father sends the Son in love for us, that while we were still sinners, before we had done anything to initiate with God, and that this is love, the initiating love of God for his enemies. And what we see in John, as he goes on in verse 11, is that this love is what determines the shape and the way that we live as Christian community, determines the shape of Christian community. So verse 11 says this, Beloved, those who are loved, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. How succinct of a statement. If this is the gospel, if this is the hope that we have, that God comes to his enemies and is not content to leave them as enemies, but he loves them through his son. If God so loved us, the statement is we also ought to love one another. This is what therefore defines and shapes the Christian community makes it a unique community who is loved by God and then imitates the very love of God that's shown to us on the cross. Now, we can often think about community as connecting with people with similar interests. Like, you enjoy skiing, I enjoy skiing. And that's great. I mean, we actually can form friendships across shared interests, and there's nothing wrong with that. We might think it's, it's connecting with people in the same life stage. You have aging parents. You know, maybe someone would say, I have aging parents, or, or you have young children, I have young children. Uh, you're just going into college, I'm going into college. You're a middle school student, I'm a middle school student. Those are all great, and you can actually form relationships as you connect over those things, and, and often relationships grow and form through connections. Maybe it could be political views, values, priorities, appreciation of certain movies, arts, music, whatever it might be. But here's what's unique about Christian community. It's not built upon convenience or likeness to one another. And at the center of Christian community is not community. Because here's the thing, if you want community more than anything, you actually can't have it. What has to be at the center of Christian community is actually the cross of Christ and that love of God for us. Because you see, when we have the love of Christ at the center, then community becomes a possibility. Because flowing out of Christ and his sacrifice is this community that is committed to loving one another across barriers and differences and challenges. It's a community that's committed to forgiving each other. Because as we get into community with one another, what we're going to find is we all have messes in our lives. That we all have ways that we have been hurt and that we hurt people. And what we need at the center of Christian community, therefore, is the cross of Christ, which would say, this is now how we live, that we live sacrificially, crossing barriers, whether that be cultural, racial, socioeconomic, whether it be personality types, preferences, opinions, thoughts across so many issues. What becomes the foundation of Christian community is actually love that reaches beyond those barriers. It's the cross of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German theologian who wrote at the end of the 1930s, so think Nazi Germany coming into fruition. He's writing 
19, end of the 1930s, and he writes about community and some of the barriers that often come up to community. And he says this, and I think it's just so helpful. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so earnest, ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. So what he's saying so far is, if you love a picture of community, this is what community will be like. You have the vision. More than the community itself as it is, you'll destroy the community. And here's why. Skipping down a little bit, uh, he says, the man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. Skipping down a little bit again. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. And and what's the point here? When when you idolize a community and you have these expectations, this is how people are going to treat me. This this is exactly how things are going to play out. Why aren't things like they should be? And you put these expectations that can actually become a barrier towards community. Because at the center of community is, is not the ideal. It's not... It's great to have our ideals, but it's actually loving each other where we are in the challenges and the difficulties. Helping one another grow into maturity, but loving one another in the challenges and the mess of so many aspects of our lives. You can think about it this way. Married or unmarried, who's the only spouse who will never disappoint you? It's the one you're not married to. Right? Right? Who's the only pastor who would never disappoint you? The one you watch on YouTube. Because you're not part of their community. You're not going to see their issues. Who's the only community that will never disappoint you? It's the one that you're not a part of. See, when we enter into community, it's not, it's not just an easy ideal. You get in and all your life's problems are solved. Actually, you may enter into more challenges as you enter into community. There's profound blessings, and it's what we were made for. But, but there's going to be challenges because it is sacrificial and costly to love and care for one another. But as we love and care for one another, as we demonstrate the gospel, it's actually incredibly freeing. And it's bringing us to what we were called to be in God, imitators of him and his sacrificial love. And so the, the thing, you can think about it like this. What's the perfect community at Calvary? There isn't one. Like, like, if you're like, what's, if I could get involved in the perfect group of people, it's like, you won't find it. But what you can find, very likely, you, what you can find is this, a community who is imperfect, but will be perfect for you learning to love and care for others as Christ loves and cares for you. And that's what we're called to in community. It, it's, not, it's not that we're called to the ideal picture of what it could be. But it's people who you can confess your sins to, people who you can pray for, people who you can come alongside of in the midst of their challenges and say, I'm for you. To be present and care for one another as we continue to long for the time when Christ will return and when all the challenges we face now will be given new life at his return. He makes all things new. So what is it that makes Christian community? Two things so far. It's rooted in the very love of God himself. 
and it imitates the love of God, which is finally brings us to the last point. What makes Christian community unique is that in our love for one another, God himself is present, and his love is perfected. Verse 12 says this, No one has ever seen God. God the Father, no one has ever seen him. 1 Timothy 6.16 talks about God, and it says that he dwells in unapproachable light, whom no eye has ever seen or can see. Colossians 1.15 says he is the image, Jesus, of the invisible God. So we know there is an invisible God, but who is Christ? Christ is the image of God to us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See, we do see God in the person of Jesus. Jesus in his human nature comes to us. He lives and dwells among us. But there is an invisible God whom no eye has seen or can see. Yet we see him in Christ. But here, here John is going to make a different point. He's going to make this point. That we actually see God, and God is present as the invisible God in our love for one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we talked about God abiding, saying God is present. He's dwelling. He's living among us through our love for one another, and his love is perfected. Now, when it talks about perfected here, the idea of perfected is not that somehow God's love is imperfect or incomplete. God is love within himself. But the idea is more like the end, the purpose, the goal, where this love is pushing toward in creating a community of love who is living in this relationship of love with one another. So it's the end, the purpose, the goal, which is that God's love in his people would be brought to completion. And how is that done? When we love one another, God is present and his love is perfected. This is actually a pretty profound thing that it's saying here. It's not merely saying that our love is perfected, but that God's love is perfected in us. Which means that when we love one another, when we care for one another, God is using normal, ordinary people, like you, me, the people sitting next to you, to put on display his presence and his love, to perfect and to complete his love and community. And so one of the challenges that, or one of the questions that many of us will ask or have asked at some point in our life is, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my grief, in the midst of what's going on? You seem far, you seem distant. Where are you right now? And there's a lot of ways I think you could go about considering how to answer that question in the midst of suffering. Where is God? But one answer you could give is that God is actually present as he ministers through his people. That his love is actually being communicated through his very people in the midst of your suffering. And so when we pray for one another, when we hear the challenges that are going on in each other's lives and, and we're present and we hear, we give a word of encouragement, we, we, we give some sort of encouragement and pray for each other, that's actually God being present among his people. When you go through tragedy, grief, one of the ways that God is present personally is going to be through his people. When you do something like make a meal, you, could, you can think it's a small thing. I'm, I'm sending someone a meal in a meal train. 
But if you think about what this verse means theologically, it's like God himself is present. His love is being communicated. God is caring for his people through his people. He is present in our love and he abides among us. His love is perfected. And I hope what that does for us is that it gives us a sense of we may not always think we have much to offer as people, as Christians. But if you know Christ and his love is at work in you, when you love and care for others, you're actually being the very presence of God. How God is abiding among his people. How God is perfecting his love. So something like listening, caring, understanding, seeking to pray, encouraging, challenging, all those things can be ways in which we actually live as God's people with his presence in one another's lives. And so it gives a certain sense of sacredness to things that we could look at as just small, minimal, hearing each other's challenges and praying for each other. So I want to go back to the original question. It's what's unique about the church? What's unique about the church is that it's a community that's born out of God's love. It's a community that imitates his love. It's a community in which God himself is present and in which his love is perfected among us. Now, in a moment, we're going to be taking communion. And in communion, we're really thinking about the core story of who we are as Christians. And I think it really actually captures so well what's happening in 1 John that there is a God who loves his people. And how do we know that this God loves his people? Because he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, when you take the bread and the wine, and when you taste the bread and the wine, it is a reminder that God himself loves and cares for his people at the cost of his own son. So that when you taste the meal of communion, you're reminded of the gospel. That God is seeking to communicate the truth of the hope that we have in Christ so much that he would give it to us physically. That not only do we hear the gospel preached, do we read the word, but we actually taste and experience the goodness of the gospel in communion. Remember the truth of what he's done for us. And communion is something that reconciles us to God. We're brought from enemies of God to friends of God as he seeks us in our sin but it also reconciles us to one another as we are born and adopted into the family of God and we are reconciled to one another and we live out this love with one another. So if you're helping with communion, would you come forward? There's three ways you can think about communion. There's a past. As we take communion, we're going to be looking back. What has Christ done for his people? What has God done for his people in Christ? He has given up his son so that we might live. We remember the sacrifice of Christ. The bread and the wine are reminders that Christ gave up his body and blood for our salvation. There's a present reality in communion. It reminds us that as we confess our sins to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He has done away with our sin. We're assured and reminded of that in communion. And there's a forward-looking element of communion where we long for and await Christ's return. And so as we do communion today, we're going to have some time for you to reflect. And this can be a time where you reflect. Maybe it's confessing sin to God, being reminded of his forgiveness and grace. Maybe, maybe as you reflect, it's 
take time to think about the challenges in which you need strength from God now, in which he promises to strengthen his people because Christ today lives and is with us to give us strength in our time of need. If you're not a Christian, I ask that you just allow the communion to pass before you. It won't be of any benefit of you, and we're actually discouraged from doing so in Scripture if we haven't put our trust in Christ, or if we're not trusting in him through the acts. But to take the time today and reflect. And if that is where you're at, if you have not yet come to know Christ, we put the invitation that we put out every week, which is trust in Christ. Come to him, believe in him, that God has sent his son into the world to be the savior. And that what keeps us from coming to him, whatever it might be, is something that he can overcome. That at a great cost to himself, he loves his people. And that he will withhold nothing from us. And so we're going to go ahead and pray, and we'll take communion and have some time just to reflect with you to this. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came into the world so that we might be saved. We thank you for the love of the Father in sending the Son, the love of the Son in willingly going to the cross, and the gracious love of the Spirit in applying this work to us. I pray that now as we take communion, I pray for any sins that are unconfessed, that they would be confessed. I pray for any relationships that are broken, that they would be restored and healed, that we would see the implications of the cross for how we live among one another. Lord, and I, I just pray for your ministry in countless myriads of ways in which we need your strength and grace today. And we trust and rely that you will strengthen us now as we take this. We love you, Lord. We look to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.